Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be preaching a message entitled, Digging Ditches. Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. It is officially the unofficial last day of summer. You kind of understood that? (laughs) And so technically the last day of summer is September 21st, but the Labor Day weekend is typically uh, held as the last hurrah for the summer. And so I hope everyone has had a, a wonderful summer, and we pray that God would give us just a blessed fall. Amen. Well, I have been doing my best the last few months, really since January, to be honest, to avoid watching the news. It's just something coming into this year I decided that I wanted to do. Uh, I don't want to watch the news anymore. Um, I I haven't watched any news on TV. Uh, I will have my phone app and I'll skim through just the, 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 uh, the captions. And if it interests me, I'll just skim through the story so I I can kind of stay abreast. Uh, But to be honest, I have decided not to really watch much news because I get frustrated. It's all bad news. And I don't know about you, but when when I can't do anything about, about a situation, I get very frustrated. And so when I watch the news, all I hear is bad news, and I can't really do anything about it, and it just, it just affects me negatively. And so I've done my best not to, to watch or very, very limited news watching. But in the past two weeks, it's been difficult for me to avoid watching the news because of everything that's going on uh, in the world. I, I hate seeing what's going on in Afghanistan right now. I hate seeing the devastation that Hurricane Ida has wreaked upon this country. Uh, And there's not much I can do about it, and it it frustrates me. Now, of course, uh, I I can pray, and I do that. I've been compelled to watch the news that's being reported because, again, at the very least, I want to pray for what's going on in Afghanistan. I want to pray for what's going on uh, down down on our coastal uh, communities where the Hurricane Ida really just uh, really wreaked havoc. But when you think about it, I can do more. We all can do more than just pray. No matter, no matter if it's happening in our own lives or happening somewhere around the world. Um, in our country, I can vote the right leaders in that will make better decisions. I can have a voice. I can vote. Uh, And I can support troops wherever I can in many different ways. I can support organizations that go down to those coastal cities and help with disaster relief. I remember uh, connecting with Christ in Action during Hurricane Sandy on the Jersey Shore a few years back and and, and just help. There's organizations that we can support and and do. And and so we, we get involved as much as we can and then we pray. But if you think about it, with every hardship we face with every struggle that we have to endure, with every season of uncertainty that we go through, there's always only so much we can do. You see, we can pray, we can do this, we can do that, but then 
it gets to the point where, you know what? We need God to show up. We can do all that we can do within any given situation, but most of the times, it reaches the point where unless God shows up, then what we do will never be enough. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, you're going to need to show up because I've done everything I can do. I've said everything I can say. I've thought about everything I can think about. And I'm at the point where, God, you need to show up. That's where I believe the world is today. That's where I believe this country is today. And to be honest, that's where I believe the church across this country, the church around the world is right now. That unless God shows up, things are going to go from bad to worse. We need God to show up because our efforts are falling short. It's as simple as that. The scripture teaches us that the Israelites faced similar situations throughout their history. And I want to look at one of those situations today. Situations where they did all they could do and it was still not enough. But then God showed up. And I want to look at one of those situations today. The title to today's message is simply Digging Ditches. Digging Ditches. The title will make more sense towards the end of this message. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. We'll read a little bit later, but I want to give you the context in which this story takes place. At this time in history, in the Israelites' history, the Israel, the nation of Israel is divided. Okay, the Israelites consisted of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel was Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons. They became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and so this is well after King David, well after King Solomon. Uh, after Solomon died, Solomon's son experiences a split in the kingdom, and 10 of the tribes split off from the two tribes. The 10 tribes continue to call themselves the nation of Israel, but the two tribes call themselves the nation of Judah. And so the Israelites consist of two nations at this point in history. Now, Israel has had a series of kings, and Judah, at this point, has had a series of kings. That's why we have the book of First and Second Kings in the Bible, because they list the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 3, we pick up the story after Israel's king Ahab has died and his son Joram becomes king. Now, at this point in history, Israel has had a series of rebellious kings, sinful kings, and Judah has had a series of godly kings. Ahab was probably the worst of kings. He did the most evil in God's eyes, and his wife was named Jezebel. So Ahab has died, Jezebel is off the scene, and Ahab's son Joram becomes king. So Joram is not as bad as Ahab, but he's not that far off, according to the scriptures. He's still pretty bad. Now, if you remember the story of Ahab, Ahab and his wife Jezebel were responsible for encouraging Baal worship. They were responsible for setting up prophets of Baal. 
and they were responsible for killing many of God's prophets. And so the prophet Elijah comes on the scene, and God calls him to deal with Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. And they have kind of a showdown. Elijah says, listen, it's time for the world to know who God is, without a doubt. And he says, listen, you pray to your gods to come and, and, and consume a sacrifice that you present to him. And when you're done, I'll pray to my God that God will send down fire and consume this sacrifice. And the God who responds will know is God. And it's this showdown. And we know the story. They do all they can do and they, they fail. Baal is a false god. There's no fire that comes down and consumes the sacrifice. And then Elijah says, you know what? I'm not even just going to, I'm not just going to pray the fire. I'm going to water this sacrifice down. I'm going to drench it with water. And then he prays and fire falls down and consumes the sacrifice. And then Elijah has all of the prophets of Baal killed. Now it's important. I mention that because we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that part of the story in a little bit. But at this point, again, Ahab has died and Joram is king, his son. Joram, king of Israel, finds out that one of the nations that his father Ahab had conquered, the, the nation of Moab, they stopped paying their taxes to Israel. So when Ahab conquered Moab, he required them to pay a tax. So now that Ahab's dead and, and his son is this rookie new king, Moab seems to, to, to take advantage and says, well, I'm just going to stop paying taxes. This king is not, he's testing the, 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 the authority of this new king. So Joram, again, being a fairly new king, he doesn't want to deal with this problem alone. So he recruits two other kings to help him deal with Moab. He recruits Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now Jehoshaphat is a godly king ruling over Judah. And he recruits the king of Edom, which I found very interesting because the Edomites, remember last, uh, last week we finished up a sermon series on the um, different heart conditions of Jacob and Esau. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the, the one that had the birthright then and, and God's, God's promise continued through him. But Esau, he moved his family where? To Edom. And he became known, and his descendants became known as the Edomites. So the Edomites were also descendants of Abraham and Isaac. So here they were, they were all family. You had Israel, Judah, and the Edomites. We're all family. Let's take care of this together. And so this is what is taking place. The three kings then set out to destroy Moab. And this is where we pick up the story. So let's read 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. We're going to read the story in its context, and then we'll refer back to it. It says this, Now Misha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with a hundred thousand lambs and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. This was his tax. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. 
He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, Jehoshaphat replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But what route shall we attack? He asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Well, woe is me. He's basically giving himself a pity party. Verse 11, it says, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used, to be, he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. So Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Oh, yeah, he starts to remember now. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab again. Pity party, oh, woe was me. Verse 14 says, Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. But now bring me a harpist. Now while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones." The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. It's a great little story, isn't it? So these three kings, they find themselves in a predicament. Again, one of these kings was the godly king Jehoshaphat. They all ally themselves together, and they set out to destroy Moab. Jehoshaphat, the godly king, asks Joram, the rebellious rookie king, which route shall we take to get over there and attack Moab? And so Joab picks a route through the desert, and it's a big mistake. It takes too long, and they run out of water. And now their horses can't carry them into battle because everyone's getting dehydrated, obviously. One of the men, remember, actually it was Jehoshaphat that says, he gets to the point where, you know what, maybe we should have prayed about this. Maybe we should have heard from the Lord before we took this route, before we even endeavored to this. Is there no prophet among Israel? Is there no prophet among us that can, can speak the word of the Lord to us? And then one of the officers of Israel says, yeah, there, there, actually there is. Elisha, the, you know, the one who used to serve Elijah, he's serving now as the prophet and, and he speaks the word of the Lord, and then Jehoshaphat remembers, oh yeah, that's right, God does speak through him. Let's go visit him. 
And so long story short, they need water. And God eventually pours out water to ensure their victory over Moab. I think the world has found itself in a similar predicament today. I think the church has found itself in a similar predicament today. I think we all find ourselves in a situation today that unless God shows up, things are about to go from bad to worse. Can you see how that that might be true today? In the scriptures, water always represents, always symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And now more than ever before, probably in our history, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to ensure victory in our lives, to ensure victory in our communities, in our country, around this world. We need the power of God to show up. But God didn't just show up and provide victory in this situation that we read. There were certain things that had to take place before God showed up. And there were certain things that that these three kings could have done differently to spare them a lot of hardship. And so let's look at that today. Point number one. When we find ourselves in a situation where we need God to show up, we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful who we listen to. Now, when Jehoshaphat agrees to ally himself with Joram, he asks Joram a question. He says, by what route shall we attack? Verse 8, he asks, and Joram responds, well, through the desert of Edom, he answered. Now, this turned out to be a big mistake. The journey took too long, obviously, and again, they ran out of water. Now, think about this. Why would Jehoshaphat, this experienced king who has gone out to battle before, ask this rookie king, who's never been out to battle as king, what route should we take? You see, why, when it came to war, would these two experienced kings follow the advice and follow the lead of this king who had never been to war? Listen, I find it questionable to begin with that Jehoshaphat even allied himself with Joram in the first place. But you know what? They were all family. They were related. They're all descendants of Abraham and Isaac. There was some some bond there between all of those three nations, all of those three kings. They were all descendants of Abraham. They felt like they really needed to support each other. Even though some may not be following God right now, I still need to show my support. You know, and that's what we find ourselves in as Christians sometimes as well. We find ourselves connected, like it or not, to people who are not following God's ways. At home, with our friends, with our neighbors, in our schools, and at work, as Americans. See, but that should not stop us from helping and, and connecting with them. It should not keep us from having a patriotic partnership, perhaps, with fellow Americans. We live in a world together. We share in many of life's struggles and hardships, like Afghanistan and like Hurricane Ida. These hardships are experienced by Christians and non-Christians alike. But we need to be careful who we listen to within these circumstances. 
We need to be careful who we listen to within the hardships and the struggles of this life because a bad situation can quickly get worse if we listen to the wrong people. And I think that's what we're seeing play out even in Afghanistan. I think perhaps the wrong people have had some influence and have made decisions. Well, I don't want to get too much into that. But we need to listen to the right people. After they run out of water, Jehoshaphat finally asks another question, verses 11 and 12. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? Yeah. Maybe we need to to listen to someone else, he's saying. I listened to Joram and he took us this route, but maybe I needed to listen to someone else. Is there someone else that can speak the word of the Lord to us? Again, basically a bad situation got worse and Jehoshaphat realizes that maybe he needs to, whoa, back up a little bit. But he can't because he found himself in the desert. He can't even get home. He can't even withdraw. They're vulnerable at this moment. He realizes we got ourselves in a predicament. Now we need to hear from the Lord. Isn't that just like humanity? It isn't until we're in a jam no way out that we wonder what God is saying. You see, it's, it's our last thought instead of our first. He realizes that they now need to hear from someone who hears from God and knows God's will. And they remember about the prophet Elisha, and they seek him out. When you're going through a personal struggle in life, who are you listening to? When a bad situation suddenly gets worse, who has your ears? In these situations, we need to find people who have found God. In these situations, we need to listen to people who hear from God. In these situations, we need to follow the people who follow God. And that's not to say we can't ourselves, but when we're in the midst of a struggle and a hardship and a season of uncertainty, when emotions are running high, it's sometimes hard to, 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 to hear and, and to, 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 to differentiate what's my emotions and what I'm hearing and feeling and what God is actually saying. So I invite those people into my life that I can share with and I can say, hey, what do you think God is saying in this? Be careful who you listen to. If you're struggling in your marriage, Well, listen to someone who has a strong, godly marriage. Seek them out. If you're struggling as a parent, and how many do? I think we all do. Learn from those who have raised godly children. Seek them out. If you're struggling financially, seek advice from someone who manages money well, according to the scriptures, and seek them out. Makes sense, right? You see, sometimes we want God to come and supernaturally fix these things without ever listening to and learning from the people that God has placed around us. We're we're praying for that supernatural miracle, and he says, listen, I've given you all that you need. Start listening. But now let me also say this, and perhaps I'm speaking a bit prophetically here right now. I believe the day is soon coming when the world will once again seek out those close to God. 
when the people across this country realize that they need to hear from God. I believe the day is soon upon us when people of influence and authority in our country will seek out godly men and godly women. When what God's people have to say will be taken seriously. Why? Because bad situations are about to get worse. The world is about to remember, and actually goes right along with the prophetic word that was was given. The world is about to remember the message of the gospel proclaimed by the church. The world is about to remember the miracles they heard about taking place at our altars. The world is about to, to remember the blessings of God that have come to those who follow God's ways. And I believe the ones who have asked you to be quiet about that Jesus stuff around family reunions and at work, they say, I don't want to hear about that Jesus stuff. Just keep it to yourself. Those people. I believe the ones who have ignored what you have tried to sow into their lives. I believe the ones who pulled away from you personally because of your faith. I believe they're the ones that are going to begin to seek you out. So we need to be ready to speak into their lives. Get ready, because they're coming to seek you out. You won't have to insert yourself or your opinion or your faith in this. They're going to seek you out the way these three guys, these three kings, sought out Elisha and says, listen, we've got ourselves in a jam here, and we need to hear from God. You know what? That person I work with seems to have it all together. I think I'm going to start a conversation. You know what? This person, that person, uncle this, aunt this, I need to go have a conversation because I know they hear from God. We need to be ready to speak into their lives and into their situations the way Elisha spoke into the lives and into the situations of these three kings. Point number two, when we find ourselves in a situation where we need God to show up, first, we must be careful who we listen to. Second, we need to develop a desperate dependence on God. We need to develop a desperate dependence on God. What makes people who once ignored us and once mocked even what we had to say, what causes them to now seek us out? They've become desperate. They've become desperate. It's a realization that everything that they have been dependent on is now falling and failing them. And they remember about the God who never fails. 2 Kings 3, verses 9 and 10 So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel, like he's surprised. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Why are we so surprised sometimes when after doing our own thing, our own way, it doesn't work out. Why are we so, so surprised? He was so surprised. What? We ran out of water? Listen, there's no one to blame but yourself. You're the one who chose this route. Why are you surprised? The world is full of leaders and nations that have done their own thing, their own way, for far too long. And it's starting to come to a, 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 a it's starting to collapse on them. Parts of our own culture here in America have done their own thing, their own way for years. 
We've had liberal cities do their thing and have their way for far too long, and it's beginning to collapse on them. Do I dare say that I believe even aspects of the church, we have done our own thing, our own way, for far too long, perhaps for many years? Joram was surprised when they ran out of water and the plan that he thought was so perfect just made things worse. This is where our world is today. You may think it's a bad place, but I have a feeling it's going to be a great place once we see God's plans play out. Plans made outside of God's promises always create problems. I think I put that quote up there. Plans made outside of God's presence always create problems. That's what was happening in this story. They just decided to do their thing. They know what they're doing. They're three kings, and they know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, it just became a disaster. The world today thinks too much of itself. Humanity, including God's people sometimes, we think too much of ourselves. We have become too dependent on the things of man, too dependent on the wisdom of man, too dependent on the ideas and the creativity of man, too dependent on the ingenuity of man and the generosity of man, perhaps. We have become comfortable making decisions without consulting God and seeking his will. Even Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Judah, didn't hesitate one bit to ally himself with Joram, the rebellious king of Israel. It doesn't say he thought about it one bit. He didn't pray about it. He says, no, I'll be, my people are with your, are your people, my horse is your, yeah, we're all family here, we're all Americans, and we'll, we'll stand together. He didn't hesitate one bit when Joram took them the long way through the desert. We need to develop the attitude that understands that nothing we do will succeed unless God is in it. We need to develop the attitude that understands that what we do is not worth doing unless it is in complete harmony with God's will. Dependence on God diminishes when we become comfortable with ourselves. The world says we need to become comfortable with who we are. No. Because when I become comfortable with who I am, I'm not dependent on God. Dependence on God diminishes when I become confident in and of myself. The world will tell you you need confidence. Just be bold and be confident in and of yourself. And No, because when I'm confident in and of myself, I'm less dependent on God. And that gets me into a whole lot of trouble. I've been there. Dependence on God grows stronger when I realize that no matter what I do, It'll always fall short unless God is a part of everything I do. And that keeps me completely and desperately dependent on God. Point number three, when we find ourselves in a situation where we need God to show up, one, be careful who you listen to, two, develop a desperate dependence on God, and three, live a life that attracts the Holy Spirit. Live a life that attracts the Holy Spirit. 
Let's see what's happening next in the story. Verses 12 and 13, it says, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him, went down to Elisha. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, now he's, 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 there's three kings there, but Elisha specifically now is speaking to the king of Israel, Joram. He says to the king of Israel, what do we have to do each other? Do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father. Go to the prophets of your mother. Now I have to pause before we read the rest. I think this is one of the most snarky remarks made in scriptures. This is like a, a Trumpism, forgive me for saying that. Not really, I don't know, I, I said it. You know how he has these phrases that people like, oh, that's not politically correct. Well, that, that's what this kind of statement is. What, what is he saying? Remember, Elisha is the prophet who took over for Elijah. Okay. Now, in fact, he received a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Now, Elijah, backing the story up, we, we mentioned it earlier, was the one who dealt with Joram's parents, Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah was the one who had all of the prophets of Baal killed. So now Elisha is looking to Joram and says, go to the prophets of your parents. Well, his parents are dead. And so are all the prophets. He's reminding them of what took place. He says, why do you come to me? I wouldn't even give you the time of day if it was not for Jehoshaphat. Wow. Let's read the rest of that. It goes on, verses 13. No, the king of Israel answered, because it is the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. He's holding a pity party. He's hoping to gain some compassion here. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you, but bring me a harpist. He's saying, listen, I don't care how bad things are. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I'd send you away to be destroyed. Wow. Elisha represents the anointing of God. Elisha represents the word of God spoken over the situations we face. Elisha represents the power of God at work within any given circumstance. And Elisha says, if I did not have respect for Jehoshaphat, I would not even look upon you. What does this teach us? It teaches us that there are people who attract the Holy Spirit and then there are people who repel it. Ouch. The lifestyle we live will either draw the power of the Holy Spirit to us or it will repel it, repel it from us. Let me say that again. The lifestyle we live will either draw the power of the Holy Spirit to us or repel it from us. And so when we face difficult situations, when we are in a situation where all our efforts have fallen short, and when we need God to show up, what is it? What is it about our life that draws the power of God to us, to our situation? Well, the answer to this could be a whole other sermon series in and of itself, to be honest. But in short, I'll, I'll list some things. Humility will draw God's power to your life. Repentance, a lifestyle of repentance and holiness. 
These things will attract the anointing of God, the power of God to your life and to your situation. But there's something else that's going on here I want to point out. What kind of situation would Joram be in if Jehoshaphat was not with him? Up a creek without a paddle, as they say, right? Elisha would have turned him away if it were not for Jehoshaphat. The lifestyle we live as people of God can actually draw the power of God to others and their difficult situations, even if those others are people who repel the, the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, we do need to, to stay connected to those who are disobeying God. Because eventually they'll see us as the answer. We will be the draw for them when all else fails. You see, they'll come to us. When the world starts crumbling, they'll begin looking to the church. This is why people will soon seek us out. This is why the church is on the verge of a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is why I believe our country is on the verge of another great awakening. Because as a people who live a life of repentance and a life of holiness and a life of humility, we attract the power of God to the ungodly. We attract the power of God to the world's dilemmas to situations that continue to get bad and worse and worse. Let's learn to live a life that attracts the power of God to difficult situations. Point number four. When we find ourselves in situations when we need God to show up, one, we must be careful who we listen to. We must develop a desperate dependence on God. We must live a life that attracts the Holy Spirit, and we must learn to dig ditches. We must learn to dig ditches. Here's where the title comes in, the title of the message. What does this mean? Well, let's look at it. Verses 15 through 20, it says, While the harpist was playing. Let me stop there. I didn't add this point, but this could have been point number four, and then I would have had a point five. Elisha asks for a harpist. What does he do? He knows that he wants to hear from God. He knows he needs to be in God's presence. And so he worships. Send me the worshiper. Send me the worshiper. Send me the worshiper. I need to hear from God. You see, when we need God to show up, learn to worship. Learn to worship. I can go on with that one, but I'll skip that. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For, this is, what the, for with this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing for the Lord. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for the offering, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. I'm waiting for there it is moment. I believe we're on the verge of a there it is moment 
in our situations and in our country. We've been waiting, we've been waiting, we've been praying, and now it's almost there where we wake up one morning and say, there it is. What took place before that there it is moment? They had to dig a ditch. What would have happened if God would have sent the water without them first digging ditches? Well, there would have been no way for anyone to actually drink the water. There would have been no way for the animals to rehydrate themselves. There would have been a powerful display of water runoff, but that impressive display of power would have served no purpose, you see. I think the church too often prays for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit while not preparing to receive it and experience it. Yeah, ouch. We want overflow in our lives, but instead we get runoff. What's the difference? Overflow is, is, is an abundance of water, but the abundance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that it overflows into those around us. Runoff is something we feel on Sunday mornings. Oh, it's a great service. The presence of God comes, and it serves no purpose on Mondays. It hasn't changed us one bit. It's runoff. Runoff becomes dangerous, doesn't it? We had a lot of rain here the other day. Now, not as much as Lancaster and York and Philadelphia and, and other parts of the country, but a ton of water. My, my front yard, I'm, I live on a hill, and not my, the front of my house before the street is a swale. And I tell you, when the heavy rains come, I see big, heavy boulder rocks just flowing down. You see, it's damaging, runoff is. It's a powerful display, and oh, wow, look at that power but it serves no purpose. It's that warm, fuzzy feelings on a Sunday morning that doesn't change our lives come Monday morning. Why? Because we haven't dug ditches. God can bring all the rain in the world to our situation, but if there's no space in our lives for the rain to gather, then it just... It's no use to us in the long run. Digging ditches in our lives is simply another way of saying we're making room for God in our lives. We need to make room for Him in our life and in our marriage, in our homes with our children. We need to make room for Him in our finances and in our churches. What is exactly does that look like? It's a good, you know, it's, oh yeah, that's good stuff. But what is exactly does it look like? How do we dig ditches? Give me something practical. Well, what does digging ditches look like in our personal lives? Looks like time spent in personal prayer and devotion, making room for God. Looks like a determination to follow His ways no matter what. Reach that next level as we'll focus on in the fall with that follow series. Perhaps it's time for you to dig a ditch, or a bigger one than what you have, or a new one, another one. What does digging ditches look like in our marriages? It looks like a husband and a wife that are determined to be the man and the woman of God that God has called them to be. It looks like a couple who prays together and serves together and worships together. Perhaps you need to dig a ditch in your marriage, or a bigger one. Or another one. What does digging ditches look like in our children's lives? Looks like a family 
that makes every effort, a, a couple of parents, that makes every effort to make sure their kids have every opportunity to learn about Jesus. Looks like parents who set godly examples for their children to follow. It's not just about bringing them to church. It's about setting the example in your own life. Perhaps you need to dig a ditch or a bigger one. What does digging ditches look like in our finances? Looks like a person determined to tithe faithfully. Looks like a person willing to give sacrificially to advance God's kingdom in their own lives and in the, char- in the lives of the, of the church. Perhaps it's time to dig a ditch. What does digging ditches look like for a church wanting to reach its community? Looks like a church willing to, to look forward and not back. Looks like a church more focused on the lost than they are on themselves. Looks like a church not satisfied with the status quo. A church wanting more of God in every aspect of ministry. I believe God has called us to a season of digging ditches. Are we willing to dig ditches in our own life? Are you satisfied with the ditch that you have? Or is it time to dig a bigger one? for more of God. Are we willing to dig a ditch? Is your life ready for an outpouring of God's Spirit? If God pours out His power and His blessings upon your life today and into your situation, will it make a difference in your life or will your life quickly return to the way it has always been before this crisis occurred? Time to dig ditches. Are we willing to dig ditches in our church? Ditches that perhaps look differently than they have looked in the past. Ditches that function differently than they did in the past. Ditches that allow for God to move in a fresh new way in our midst. Ditches that reach a new generation of Christians. Ditches that reach a culture and a community that looks very different today than it did 10 years ago even. We need God to show up. We need God to show up in our community, in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in our country. We've done all that we can do, and it's still falling short. We've done all we can do, and things seem to go from bad to worse. It's time to dig ditches. It's time to dig ditches. When we need God to show up, what do we do? We need to be careful who we listen to. We need to develop a desperate dependence on God. We need to live a life that attracts the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to dig ditches. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. Lord Jesus, we know by looking around us at the world today that the end times are near that these are truly the last of the last days, and things are getting worse by the day. We need you to show up, God. We need you to show up once again in our churches. We need you to show up once again in our communities, in in uh, the hallways at school, in the hallways of Congress, in our state houses. We need you to show up around the world, God. We've done all we can, and it's not enough. So I pray, Lord Jesus, you would lead us and guide us in what we need to do. May we hear from you the way Elisha heard from you. 
Oh God, may we respond to it. May we attract your Holy Spirit to us and to our situations. Maybe, may, we re, may we be ready to speak your word to the lost, to the hurting, to the one who is seeking, the one who will never fail. Lord Jesus, I pray that your anointing would come upon each and every one of us here the way it came upon Elisha. Oh God, that we might declare victory and see it take place before our very eyes in the lives of those you've surrounded us with and in our communities and in our countries. We pray for those suffering from Ida, those that are homeless now because of this devastation. I pray, God, that you would help them, comfort them, strengthen them. I pray that the resources would come to just bless them. May this draw them closer to you. I pray for all the suffering going on around the world, Afghanistan and elsewhere now, all these bad decisions that were made. I pray that your people would step up, O oh God, that we would hear from heaven and know what ditches to dig. Help us as a church wanting to reach the lost in our community. Help us to know what to do, what ditches to dig, what it looks like, how it plays out, so that we can receive a mighty outpouring of your Spirit, that it might be contained in this place so that it can change lives. We thank you, Father. We give you glory and honor and praise in this place. We love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.